Yeah, Lord, I think of the words of the song we just sang a few minutes ago of, I need you. God, as I walk through life and day after day and week after week and, and things go on, I realize more and more how much I need you. I think each one of us can probably relate to that sentiment of our need for help, for comfort. Lord, I think of Psalm 46.1 where it says that you, that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, we, we recognize that it says that you, God, you are the source of help. Not other things, not other systems, not other habits you are and God that verse is either true or it's false and God we believe that it's true and so we declare to you this morning Lord in in the midst of of the challenges of the times that we live in and the transitions that seem to be going on around us we recognize that you are our help ever present in times of trouble Lord so we cling to you Lord as we walk into this time this morning and we talk about Politics. A subject that makes most of us want to groan. Lord, we know that you are at the heart of all things, Lord. And so we're looking to find you and hear from you this morning. Or as we even talked about last week, there's so much noise. There's so much noise in our culture right now about politics. We ask that you would cut through that noise. And speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about politics and identity. And uh, as I've prayed about this and been thinking about this and preparing for this message, I think the thing that strikes me is the question I've been asking God is, Lord, what do I have to add to everything that everybody here has probably heard over and over and over for months or over a year now? And I don't know if I have anything new or profound to bring to you this morning. Maybe it's just something in a new way, or maybe it's something that can be helpful. Maybe it's just going to be that you can be washed in some truth. Maybe you can become more confident and assured in your identity in Christ. Maybe some of you, I know there's probably a number of you who haven't decided how to vote yet. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. If you're coming for that, I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. Maybe this will help you have a little bit more clarity. So as you go through the last week here before we get to voting, you'll have a real piece about what to do. So uh, that being said, before we dive into that, I wanted to just really quickly review one thing we talked about last week, which is Mr. Rogers. The Won't You Be My Neighbor initiative. And I just want to remind you, because I know a number of people were not here last week, or maybe, you know, I know how life goes and things get busy. But the Won't You Be My Neighbor initiative is the idea that as a church, we are a family. And as a family, I think one way we could really grow, myself included, is to look, to initiate making connections with each other. I think sometimes we wait until something happens, there's a need, an emergency or something, and we try to reach out in that point, and I think that's a very good thing to do. But I really would love to see us as a church grow in, in reaching out and initiating. 
And so this initiative, my thought, and this, this is not official, we're not keeping score, there's no tally, there's no nothing, is that would you initiate with somebody in this church who maybe you don't know all that well, invite them to your home for a meal, uh, invite them to an event, go do something, have a game night, have, do something together. I just know how it goes. We can say, oh, there's that person over there who I, I I kind of know who they are, but I don't really know them. And we've been here a long time. And now it feels kind of weird for me to just sort of go over and be like, hey, let's get together and do something. I'd like to get to know you. So I'm kind of giving you an excuse and an opportunity to go do that. So hopefully some of you have started doing that. I just wanted to remind you about this initiative. And uh, hopefully the Fred Rogers smiling face will stick in your brain and help you do that. So, all right, now on to politics. I'm going to review again something I talked about last week about what I really think part of the the root of the problem of what we see going on with politics in the United States today is. So I made this little chart, and I think we really have to understand, as Christians, that God has designed the world to work in a certain way. And so I made this, in some ways, rather simplistic flowchart. But we understand from the Bible that God is the creator of moral law, right? And God relates by that law to individuals in some ways directly. But then there are other entities God has created. Other institutions. One of those is the government. And we could really see government as the manager, to some extent, of large-scale Moral law, right? So God has instructions for government, and government relates to individuals. But there's another entity as well, and that's the family, which we could really see as a manager of small-scale moral law. And God relates through the family to the individual. And I really think this is the design of structures, of institutions, of, of how God relates to us. Now, there's workplace, and there's the church, and they all kind of fit into this. But for the purposes of the illustration, I think this works pretty well. So what's going on in our culture and what has been going on in our culture? Well, as we talked about last week, there is a degradation of the authority of God in our culture. And you hear that through things where people say, yeah, there's really not a God at all. Not everybody believes that, but a lot of people say that. That begins to degrade the authority of God. Other people say, well, your God is not my God. There's this relativistic thought and that begins to degrade the culture's view of the authority of God and other people just say, well, we all kind of came about by chance and there's really no creator and so if there's no creator of the physical universe, there's no really creator of moral law. So God, even if there's a God, he's really unimportant or weak, right? And so that degrades the authority of God. So that's one problem. And there's another problem, which is that the family has also begun to crumble in many ways. The stability of the family has begun to crumble. You see that where there's really an attitude that family can be very disposable in our culture. I can sort of walk away from family when I want to. Or there's another view that family is really just a responsibility that I get to choose. It's not something that God brings to me or asks me to do. It's just something I get to pick and choose when I get to do that. And then other, there's alternative views that say, well, who even knows what family is? It's just whatever I want it to be. I don't care what God says the family is supposed to be. I'll just make it whatever I want. And so all of that begins to crumble the stability that family provides in our society. And so what happens? Well, there's these gaps now, these vacuums. These vacuums have to be filled and as it turns out, in our, in our society, in our culture, they're filled by government. 
And then there's this new relationship now where government is kind of, to a lot of people, the creator of moral law, the manager of large-scale moral law, and the manager of small-scale moral law. And so we really end up with two views here. And so that's the problem, is that these two views are in war with each other. Now, as I said last week, let me be really, really clear. This is not Democrat and Republican or Republican and Democrat. It's not. This is a worldview thing. I know people who would side themselves politically with the Democrats, who would hold to one view, and some who would hold to the other view. And the same with Republicans, who would hold to one view and some would hold to the other. This is not a political divide. But it leads to problems, as you can see, because the issue there is in governance. And so this is what I really think is going on. And as Christians, we would tend to the one that's on the right there. Because that's what the Bible says. And that's the way God has created it. We worship God. And we would say that is really the order that we should be looking for as Christians. Now, let me say this. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer today, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, that's, that's okay. And we're, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. I'm going to be talking today to people who have placed their faith in Christ. And so if you're here and you're not quite there, again, I am glad you're here. This is your opportunity to have a window into our worldview. So for those of you who are Christians, we need to ask ourselves this question. What is our identity as Christians? What is our identity? Well, I think we have to understand this, that our primary citizenship is not the United States of America. It is in heaven. You see there the, the verse on the screen, Philippians 3.20, says it very clearly. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our citizenship will be in heaven. Someday we will be citizens of heaven. It says it is. It is in heaven. And so if this is true, we have to recognize that we as Christians are part of something bigger and our hope is not here on this earth. Amen? Our Savior is not found in the political arena. So maybe some of you are going, Ah, I'm really stressed and this is a really hard time and I don't know how to vote. Maybe you can relax just a little bit and say, These people are not my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now here's that quote from C.S. Lewis. And he says this. He's such a great thinker. He said, If individuals live only 70 years, then a state or a nation or a civilization, which may last for a thousand years, is more important than an individual. But if Christianity is true, then the individual is not only more important, but incomparably more important, for he is everlasting And the life of a state or a civilization compared with his is only a moment. And so I think we can hold to that view and understand that right here in America, whatever our political situation is, it's not the answer and it's not the end. And our citizenship, while we may be on paper citizens of the United States, our citizenship is in heaven. And so what is our primary role then? What's our primary responsibility as citizens of heaven? It's to imitate God. Our designated role is to imitate God. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus told us that. 
Someone asked him, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God. And he went on and said, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5 verse 1. He said, be imitators of God. Our primary identity is not to find its fulfillment in politics. Our primary identity is not to find its fulfillment in politics. Is to find its fulfillment in imitating the life and character of Jesus Christ. Okay, great. So I got to... That's great, Greg. I got to imitate Jesus Christ. So what's my role in selecting government? We have these two worlds and there's government and it's growing or not and these problems. What's my role? What am I supposed to do? My citizenship's not here. Should I just check out? What should I do? Well, we're given some instructions in the New Testament. What should we do? Here's the first one. Pray, pray, and pray. Oh, that's trite. Well, I don't think it's trite. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We talked about this last week. Everything going on around us is a cosmic wrestling match between evil and good, and politics is just an extension of that. And so what are we supposed to do about it? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, Paul gives these instructions to Timothy and ultimately to us. He says, first of all, the first thing we should do, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, first and foremost, we must pray. It's not trite. Paul told us to do it. And so I'm going to stop right now and we're going to pray. I've asked you to join me in that. God, we lift up the government that has been established before us in the United States. Lord, it would take too long to name through all of the people and individuals who are in that governance, from our local city councils to the president and everyone in between. But God, we pray for them. We recognize as Christians, we recognize how hard it is to manage even our own lives, the lives of our families. And these people have stepped into roles to manage for better or worse, more than families. They have stepped into a role to be managers of large scale morality, Lord. And so we pray for them. Lord, I ask that your blessing would be upon them, that your guidance would be upon them, Lord, that you would use those who are in authority for good in the cosmic wrestling match that is going on, that you would see victory, Lord, that the United States would be a place that would be honoring and glorifying to you, even in our government. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'm going to urge you, please pray over the next week, if no other time, I think it should be all the time, but over the next week, pray for these people. Pray for them. The ones who may or may not be elected, the ones who are in power now, pray for them. Because that's what God has asked us to do and we're to imitate him. What else? The verse goes on. Paul says, 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And then in verse 3, he says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Freedom is good and pleasing to God. Did you catch that from this verse? He says, let's be free. Pray for them so that we may be free to be peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in God's sight. And so it is right for us as Christians to desire a freedom to live out our faith. And now we're at the issue of religious liberty. So I'd say this, does the issue of, as I think about it and I pray, I go, this is a big deal. I don't really see another verse that says we should desire the freedom of speech or we should desire the freedom to bear arms. All of those are good things. It says we should have the desire for a freedom of religion. Could this, could this desire, could this freedom trump all other religions? Ooh, I said it. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Without freedom, without the freedom of religion, I believe, you're going to have a hard time defending any of those other ones. And so I want us to think back, think back to those two flowcharts I made. One of those is going to create a world where there's going to be freedom to live out our faith. And the other is probably not. So let's think about that as we move forward. And so in America, how do we express this? If my role in selecting government is to pray, and my goal in selecting government is to desire freedom, you know, Paul wrote these, he wrote these passages at a time when Nero was the emperor. And they had no control, no input, no say into who was their leader, who was the emperor. But we have say, don't we? And so I believe God would have us vote. I believe we've been given that opportunity. I believe that when it comes to politics in the United States, voting is the primary way that we exercise stewardship over politics and over our governance. It is the primary way. Now you can go to rallies and you can pass out literature and you can register people to vote and those are all fine. But every single one of us who's registered, who's a citizen of this country, can vote. And so I think we also have to be aware that voting can be an expression of imitating God, an expression of loving our neighbors. And that's what we're supposed to do. What is our role? To imitate God. And voting can be an expression of that, even though it's private. Great, Greg, how should I vote? That's what I really want to know, right? How should I vote? I'm sure many of you are still going, I don't know what to do. I have a week and some left, and I still don't know what to do. And so again, I would say this is for Christians, those who have placed their faith in Christ. And so a little view for it for you. There's a passage in Romans chapter 14. I've pulled out some of the parts of it here. Paul talking to the church. He says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And we talked about this some last week. The idea of our speech causes others to feel despised. We have to be careful with that. And I think when we take this passage and we apply it to the political arena, we have to understand this. Christ followers will arrive at different conclusions. And you may not like that. But I think it's true. And it's one thing I really love here. And I don't know if it's because we're in a city and we're right downtown or or whatever the issue is. But I think about our church and I go, God has brought many different people who have many different opinions about different things. And brought us together to follow after him and worship him. And I praise him for that. And far be it from us to let political differences or the ideas of how government should be structured to split us apart. Christ followers will arrive at different conclusions. And so I would say this, you may arrive at a different conclusion from me or from someone who's sitting next to you. But I think there's a couple clear things from scripture that we need to know. The first one is that our views and our positions and where we end up should not violate God's morality. Well, what is God's morality? Well, sum it up in the Ten Commandments. Don't violate God's morality with your position. And the second one is don't violate your conscience. Don't violate your conscience. And so knowing those two things... I think it's incumbent upon each one of us to know what we're voting about. And it's not hard. There's all kinds of information out there, maybe too much information, but we ought to know what we are voting about and we ought to run those votes past God's morality and our conscience. And so what's going on in the vote that we have coming up here? Well, one is a ballot measure. And so, you know, I went through those this week and was looking at them. Man, some of them are really long and really complicated. We need to know what is on the ballot. What are these initiatives? There's many of them. One of them I noticed is about health care. Creating a health care system. And I'm not going to talk about the ins and outs of it. I'm not sure. I totally understand. But let's take it back to our identity in Christ and imitating God. We can look at initiatives like this and say, what's good for me? Is that a good thing for me or not? But God would say, love your neighbor. And so we need to look at initiatives like this and say, is this loving my neighbor or not? And you might come to a different conclusion than the person sitting next to you. And I would say maybe we should think about things like, who does God direct in the Bible to provide health care? Is it the government or is it the family? And we should think about is having government control health care, is that a wise move? Is that fiscally responsible? It's for you to decide and place your vote accordingly. There's another initiative on the ballot about legalizing suicide. 
in certain instances. And again, I think we can think about what's good for me or what's good for my neighbor and come to a conclusion. I think we ought to remember this. The Bible tells us that God has numbered our days. And we go back to the Ten Commandments and it says, Thou shalt not murder. That suicide is self-murder by definition. So we need to ask ourselves as we vote for this and think about it and pray through it and don't violate our conscience, am I imitating Christ in the way I'm voting for this or not? And that goes for all of these ballot initiatives. I think we also need to know the positions and character of our representatives. Our representatives are everyone from the local city council through state legislature all the way up to the national senate and the house. And I think we need to think of this as we're considering who are these people. Proverbs 29.2, it says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. When the wicked rule, the people groan. And so I think the principle is that the responsibilities God intends for people who are governing are best achieved when those people have moral character. And so consider that as you're placing your vote. And then I think lastly, we've got to know the stakes of the presidential election. Oh gosh, are we going to talk about this now? <laughs> Look, it's the presidential election and you've probably heard way too much noise. And again, I don't want to add to it. And it's been very, very confusing to me because there's so much focus on the persons who are being elected And it's been very hard for me to try to figure out what to do. But something I think that's really helped me, I'm going to share with you right here. And it's this. In many ways, we have two choices. That candidate or that candidate for president. But I want us to remember something. We're not just voting for that candidate or that candidate. Behind each candidate comes a vice president. Well, the vice president's not important. Well, yeah, actually, the vice president is in charge of the Senate, right? That's important. There's also going to be justices appointed to the Supreme Court. Who knows how many? Probably some. They affect law. That's also important. Beyond that, there's a whole body of other justices appointed to other courts, appeals courts, federal courts, lower courts. It's also very important as well. Beyond that, whichever candidate is selected is going to basically fill out the executive branch of government. One third of our national government is going to be filled out by that person according to certain values and principles. And so you may not like either of those candidates. I'll just be honest, I don't like either of them either. But I have to look at what comes beyond them and say, am I voting for one or the other? Right? And look, there's four options. We all know there's really four options. One of them is to vote Republican. One of them is to vote Democrat. Another one is to vote for someone in a third party. Another one is to just abstain and not vote. Frankly, I have seen good, compelling arguments for all four of these options. And so I'm not going to tell you. If you want to know what I think as a person, we can sit down sometime next week and I'll tell you what I think. I'm not going to tell you. Because it's between you and God. And I don't want you to violate your conscience by doing something I might tell you to do. So you have four options. Whatever you decide to do before next Tuesday, be clear 
be clear in your conscience and be really clear that you are seeking to honor God with however you vote in this way. Your vote is worshiping Jesus. So I think we need to understand that your vote does matter. But maybe it doesn't matter quite the way we like to think about or the people in the country like to talk about. I don't think your vote matters because of its impact. I mean, realistically, if you really break it down, if you vote or don't vote, no election has ever really been decided on a grand scale by one vote. So you can just pass on it. I don't think that's why it matters. You know, we put them all together and it makes a difference. That's not why your vote matters according to God. Your vote also doesn't matter because of what other people think. And we talked about this last week. Your vote is private. They aren't going to make you walk into that room if you vote for him or that room if you vote for her or this room if you vote for somebody else. Nobody has to know. It's private because it's between you and God. So it doesn't matter what other people think. Why does it matter? Simply because you are accountable to God. Your vote matters because you are accountable to God. And it is something he has offered to us as citizens, second, first of heaven, second of this country. And he asks us, he says, will you be my imitator? Will you vote to encourage my design? I think that's what God is asking us and so my encouragement to you would be to consider your identity in Christ whether it's about politics or anything else remember that in all things we are citizens of heaven your primary identity <clears throat> is as a citizen of heaven Christians and so because of that your work here is to be an imitator of Jesus Christ And so I think we should step into that and recognize that our identity compels us to do what first? To pray. To pray for the people who are leading us. To pray for the governmental authorities. And I think it also compels us to pursue freedom. We are to pursue freedom so that we can exercise our faith. We can exercise the truth and the grace that Jesus has given us in the gospel. And then, of course, as we talked about, your vote matters because you're accountable to God, and I think he's given it to you. And vote, it's my encouragement to you, vote according to your identity in Christ. And treat that vote as something that God has asked you to steward on his behalf. Let's pray. Yeah, God, I just confess... The the whole discussion of politics wearies me and I want it to be over. God, I think there's good in that in recognizing I'm a citizen of heaven first and you've made each one of us as eternal beings and our lives will go on forever and so what happens in the United States is far less important than what happens for eternity. And so God, I am weary, Lord, but help me, help us not to let the weariness make us complacent and not walk into what you would have us walk into as your imitators.
Jesus told us to love you, God, first. And to show that by loving our neighbors. Lord, as we walk into voting, which is, seems this time, maybe more so than any other time, a very difficult decision for many of us. Lord, we want to have, make those decisions in faith. We want to make those decisions as worship of Jesus Christ. And God, I ask that however it all turns out here, Lord, that we would, we would love each other and not let the politics divide us even as a church, but we would be drawn together regardless of the outcome. God, we want to worship you as we vote, as we consider politics. Lord, we love you above all else. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, who died on a cross after living a sinless life, was raised again on the third day and ascended into heaven, has paid the penalty for our sins, that if we would just receive the free gift of salvation offered by him, we can be right and become citizens of heaven immediately. Thank you for doing that for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.